So I'll encourage you, uh, if you brought a Bible, um, you're going to need one uh, this morning, um, or there's one in the pew rack in front of you. If you forgot one, you can feel free to uh, grab that and use that this morning, and you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, last week, our service was really short, but little did you know is I've banked all of that time for this week. <laughs> Because we're going to study uh, all of chapter 4 uh, this morning. So we just wrapped up um, chapter 3, uh, verses 18 to 23, where basically Paul summarizes everything that he's written so far to this church. Uh, and he summarizes it by giving two commands, two imperatives. He ends chapter 3 by saying, let no one deceive himself and let no one boast in men. And, and if you were to summarize everything that Paul's written so far, that's the summary. Don't deceive yourselves and don't boast in men. And then we reach chapter 4, and chapter 4, by and large, is Paul defending his ministry as an apostle. Because I want you to remember that part of the problem with these Corinthians and these Christians is that they were elevating their favorite preachers and teachers and they were forming teams and divisions and sides and, you know, we're team Apollos, we're team Cephas, we're team Paul. And so there were many in the Corinthian church who thought, Paul, what's Paul? Peter's way better than Paul. Is Paul even as good of an apostle as, as Peter is? And so they were, they were using worldly wisdom and pride as they elevated their favorite teachers. And so what Paul does in, in chapter 4 is he defends himself, but as he does so, he actually lays out some interesting principles for you and I when it comes to arrogance. Um, arrogance, to me, is probably one of the most off-putting human traits um, you, you probably all know or have memories of someone that was just really arrogant, and that's usually a person that you don't want to spend any time with, right? It just kind of rubs you the wrong way, and you just go, man, they're just so full of themselves, and they're so arrogant, and there's just kind of this air of pride uh, uh, around them. Um, this year, my wife and I started watching a lot more NFL. Uh, she's American, so she's like, football. Uh, and so um, we, uh, you know, Sunday afternoons, it was great. You watch Sunday night football. And so uh, we just really enjoyed doing that. But one of the things that uh, kind of always annoyed me is just how arrogant players can be. They do a good tackle and they stand up and they're like, yeah, right? And they flex and they're laughing at the guy on the ground. And my wife and I would always say the th same thing. Okay, settle down, buddy. Right? Or uh, any kind of sports. Oftentimes, if they give interviews or if you've seen um, if you follow boxing and then afterwards they take a picture with all their money because they won and I'm better than them. And, and just arrogance in sports is something that's kind of off-putting. I'm like, just play the game, right? Like, we don't want to see you showboat and be arrogant about how great you are. Um, sometimes Christians can be arrogant, too. Um, a couple years ago, I, I watched a bit of the Southern Baptist Convention AGM because I know how to party. <laughs> and so uh, the Southern Baptist denomination is massive. So their AGM has like 70,000 people at it. And it's live streamed. And uh, there was a, a pastor that got up, very, very well-known pastor in the States, an author and huge megachurch. And he got up to the mic and he was sharing a bit. And um, he was retiring, so he was sharing a bunch of the accomplishments, right? You know, our church has sent out 
you know, 10,000 pastors around the world, and we've raised this much money for this and that, and, you know, through our church, you know, uh, 100,000 people have become Christians, and just kind of on and on and on, and essentially just kind of bragging a little bit, but at the end, he was like, I mean, I don't want to boast, but I'm like, you just spent five minutes boasting (laughs) about all of your accomplishments as the pastor of this church, and look at what I've done, and all the things I've done, and how much my books have impacted, you know, Christendom around the world, and it's just kind of off-putting when Christians are, are arrogant. Um, at the last church we were at in Maple Ridge, one of the pastors I worked with, um, he, would, he would say things like that, like, you have no idea how much I've sacrificed for this church. And you don't know how many hours, I'm the first one here in the morning, and I'm the last one to leave at night, and I work harder than ever. And it was just kind of like, it just, just rubs you the wrong way, just arrogance among Christians. So this was, we know this was one of the problems in Corinth. The Christians were prideful and arrogant, and they were arrogant about their their favorite preachers. Um, Later on in the book, we're going to see that they were arrogant about what spiritual gifts they had. You have the gift of, of prophecy, well, I have the gift of tongues, which is way more important. And they were just arrogant about their Christian walk. I am more spiritual than you are. So the question that I want to answer, uh, ask and answer this morning is, why shouldn't Christians be arrogant? And you might go, well, it's fairly obvious, just don't do it. But why? Why shouldn't we boast in the gifts that we have and how great we are and how our walk with Jesus is going? Why shouldn't Christians be arrogant? And so Paul, I think, as he defends himself in chapter 4, he actually lays out three reasons why you and I as followers of, of Jesus should not be arrogant. So we're going to go through uh, this chapter just kind of verse by verse. And so the first point, why shouldn't Christians be arrogant, is because only God can really judge someone's heart. So starting in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 5, this is what Paul says. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God." So Paul starts in verse 1 by, again, reminding the church, well, how should you view leaders in the church? How do you uh, uh, view your pastors and the preachers and the teachers and the leaders? Paul says, this is how you should regard us. Who does he mean by us? He means him and Apollos, right? Those were the two main figures in Corinth that everyone was fighting about. He says, here's how you should view me and Apollos, Paul says. You view us as servants of Christ, and we're, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. So remember, Paul's already said this, that leaders in the church, they are servants. They're at the bottom, right? If you think of oftentimes leadership is viewed as a pyramid, and I'm at the top of the pyramid, and then I dictate everything else. Leadership in the church is an upside-down pyramid with the leader at the bottom. They're the servant of everyone else, Paul says. And he says, and we're stewards 
of the mysteries of God. Now, remember, what, what is the secret hidden mystery of God? It's the gospel. We covered that in chapter two, that this gospel was hidden in past ages, but now it's been revealed. So what Paul is saying is your leaders in the church, they are your servants and they are stewards of the gospel. It's our job as leaders, Paul says, is that we steward the gospel well. We keep it and we watch over it and we care for it and we share it with you. Um, verse 2, he, he says it's required of stewards that they be found faithful, or you could translate it trustworthy. And again, Paul already talked about this um, in chapter 3. What does God reward? He rewards faithfulness. How trustworthy are Paul and Apollos as they steward the gospel? That's what, that's what matters. Their success isn't based on eloquence or wisdom or initiative or numbers or, or, or anything like that. Their success is measured on have they been faithful to the foundation, to Jesus, to, to the gospel? Have they stewarded that well? So Paul then jumps into this first point. He says, it's a small thing if I'm judged by you Corinthians or by any human court. Paul says, I mean, I, 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 Paul says, I actually don't care if you Corinthians judge me. Isn't that amazing? He just says, like, it, just, it actually doesn't bother me at all. And he says, I don't even judge myself. He goes, I, when I think about what I've done, I don't even judge myself. And he says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. And we go, really, Paul? You're not aware of anything? But what does he say? He says, however... That doesn't mean that I'm acquitted just because I don't care if you judge me or I don't judge me. He says, that doesn't mean that I'm, 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 I'm off the hook. Why? Because it's the Lord who judges me. So clearly there are people in the church in Corinth who are judging Paul. They're judging his speaking ability. They're judging his spiritual effectiveness as a leader. And Paul says, I really don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is how the Lord Jesus judges me. What, if I'm a servant, well, then who's the master? Well, the master is Jesus. What matters is what the master thinks of me. So you have to hear, it's not as if Paul doesn't care, right? It's funny, because I've, I've said similar things in sermons years past where I'm like, you know, I, I receive feedback from a sermon, and I appreciate it, but my attitude is kind of like Paul's, where I'm like, I, I care way more what Jesus thinks of me than you think of me. And I've heard people say, well, Andrew's just arrogant. He doesn't care about what anyone says. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul doesn't say he doesn't care about anything, right? He's saying the objective value of the judgment, whose judgment matters more, yours or Jesus? And he's saying objectively, Jesus' judgment matters way more than the Corinthians. So he's going to go with that. I'm going to go with how Jesus judges me. So here's where it applies to us. Verse 5, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. And what does he mean by that? He means before Jesus returns. Don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation. So Paul says, don't pronounce judgment before the time. Because Jesus is going to bring to light everything that's hidden, and then people will, will receive their rewards uh, on that day. Here's what this doesn't mean. Okay, we have to be clear. This doesn't mean that you as a Christian are not allowed to judge anyone for anything. 
I, I hear that lots uh, among Christian circles is that you're not allowed to judge anybody for anything. That is not true, right? And we all quote Jesus in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount where he says, judge not lest ye be judged. But don't stop there. Keep reading, right, Paul? Uh, or, or Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye and then you can help your brother. So he doesn't say you're not allowed to ever point out sin, ever judge anyone, ever do anything. He says, deal with your own heart, then you can help people. Um, even the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 5.12, Paul says, what, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, is, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul says, as, as brothers and sisters, we are called to judge one another. When I see sin in your life, I'm called to lovingly judge you and say, you are walking in sin, brother, sister, come back to Jesus. So Paul's not saying when he says, don't pronounce judgment before the time, that I'm never allowed to open my mouth. I see people living in, in just gross, negligent sin, and I go, well, I can't judge them. I'm not allowed to say anything. That's not what Paul's saying. Um, even 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 John 4 says that we're to test things, that we make judgments about things based on what we know in the scripture. But here, so, so don't swing too far and say, well, I'm not allowed to ever open my mouth about anything. That's not what Paul's saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, what is, what is required of servants and stewards of God is faithfulness. And only the master of the house, God himself, can make that determination. Meaning, don't pronounce judgment on people before the time. Don't say, I know for certain that you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Don't pronounce judgment on someone. You want to know why? Because you're not God. So stop, Paul says, stop proclaiming verdicts about people when you aren't all-knowing. So because as human beings, we're not all knowing and we're not all seeing, our judgments are often limited. And more often than not, our judgments are actually mistaken. Because public opinion is fallible and it's relative and it's limited. So Paul's warning us to just, before we begin to pronounce judgment on people, he says, actually, it's, it's not your place to do that. Because oftentimes you're wrong. Let me give you an example in the negative um, many of you know of the whole scandal that came out about Ravi Zacharias. So here's a man for years from the, from the outward seemed like he was faithfully following Jesus. And when he died, it came out that he was actually living in gross perversion and sin and sexual misconduct. And so we, we should never make judgments before the time because no one knows the heart besides the Lord Jesus. So Paul just saying, why shouldn't we be arrogant as Christians? Because no human being, no human being can accurately and definitively judge someone's heart. Only God can do that. And oftentimes arrogance comes into Christianity is when I can look around and I can just tell, yeah, yeah, you're for sure going to heaven. No, you're going to hell. You are bad and you are good. And Paul says, you actually don't know people's hearts. So, so be careful pronouncing judgment before the time. 
And so as Christians, again, it's not that we just go, well, I can never judge anything. No, but we extend grace to people and we live with humility because I'm not the be-all and end-all judge of everyone. And so Paul says the Corinthian church is judging him and he goes, it actually doesn't bother me because Jesus is the one who will, in the end, judge my faithfulness. Secondly, why shouldn't Christians be arrogant? Because everything we have is a gift. Um, Verse 6, Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So secondly, why shouldn't we be arrogant is because Paul's saying you have to realize everything that you have is a gift from God. Um, Verse 6, Paul says that he's applied all of these things to himself and to Apollos so that the Corinthian church would benefit. He's using them as test cases saying we want you to benefit from these examples so that Christians in Corinth, you learn not to go beyond what is written, right? Not to be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Um, Paul's talking about, you know, the scriptures that he's quoted. He's quoted the Old Testament many times in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And he's saying, I'm trying to teach you, church, don't go beyond that as you're pronouncing judgments on people. Stick to the word, what you, you know. Because then you won't become puffed up and, and arrogant in favor of one speaker over the other. And then in verse 7, he asks a whole bunch of, of questions. He says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So he asks who, what, and why? <laughs> so the first question, right, for who sees anything different in you, in our like English modern f- phrasing, that's Paul saying, who in the world do you think you are anyways? That's what Paul says. Who do you think you are? And then, and then he says, like, you're, you're so puffed up with arrogance. Who do you think you are? What do you have that you actually didn't receive as a gift from God? So here, what we have here is an acknowledgement of the sovereignty and the providence of God. Meaning all of your abilities, all your opportunities, all your blessings are from the Lord. He gave them to you. So why would you boast in them? You didn't earn anything, right? So here's some, here's some verses. Um, Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Similarly, in Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do, do you realize that Jesus in this moment is actively holding the universe together? In him, all things are holding together. Um, Acts 17.28 Uh, Speaking of God, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. You're alive because God wills it that you would be alive. Like you got up this morning and you stood up and you put clothes on and you got in your car and you drove here and it's actually in him that you did all that. He's holding it all together. 
Everything that you have, Paul says, is a gracious gift from God. Your job, the money that you have, the food in your fridge, the roof over your head, the car that you drove here this morning, the clothes on your back. Actually, if you just stop and just be aware of your breathing, every breath is a gift from God. And he doesn't owe you anything Right, your, your heart, there's so many things we're not even aware of. Your heart is beating right now and Jesus, Lord of the universe, is holding it together. Um, in Job 34, it actually says that if God would so uh, uh, decide to withdraw his spirit, all flesh would die. Do you realize that? What, what does that mean? That God, by his spirit, is keeping all of us alive right now. And, and, and Job 34 says, then everything would just turn to dust if God withdrew his spirit. Everything you have is, is a gift. So why can't you be arrogant? Because you haven't earned anything. So the Corinthians weren't living in that reality. Like I said earlier, they were actually boasting in what they had. And their arrogance was, well, it's because I'm amazing, <laughs> Look how much wisdom I have. Look how much wealth I have. Look at the spiritual gifts that I have. That makes me amazing. So to be puffed up and arrogant, what you're effectively doing is denying that God is the one who gives you all things. Living in light of grace, if you were to c compare right, grace and arrogance, living in light of grace, it leads to gratitude because you go, God, I ate lunch today. Thank you for feeding me. Living in light of worldly wisdom and self-sufficiency, it just leads to boasting, and then inevitably you will then judge other people because they're not as far along as, as you are. Grace actually has a leveling effect, right? We're all on the same level, and self-esteem has a self-exalting effect. I'm better than you. Grace leads to humility, and boasting leads to thinking and believing that you've arrived. So I love that Paul, right? Why shouldn't we be arrogant? Because remind yourself, everything you have is a gift from God. When you realize that you have nothing apart from God's grace, it becomes really hard to be arrogant. Right? When, when you realize that you have nothing except for the grace of God, you, you, then you don't boast in things. Right? We... Um, we try and do this often with our kids, and I've shared this before. Friday is grocery day, and we buy uh, uh, groceries for the week, and then we fill up our fridge. And like every week, we try and at least show our kids the fridge or just remind them, we, we can eat for another week, children. Why? Because dad works hard and he gets a paycheck. No, because the Lord has blessed us with food for another week. Praise Jesus. Right? It's hard to boast when your mindset is constantly, everything I have is from the Lord. Well, I work hard. Well, you got out of bed and you didn't collapse to dust on the floor. Jesus is keeping you alive to work. Right? Everything you have is a gift. So ask yourself these questions often that Paul asks. Uh, Paul asks, what do I have that I don't receive? Nothing. <laughs> and what it does is it produces humility and thanksgiving in you. And you can't be arrogant if everything's a gift. Lastly, Paul's third point, uh, why shouldn't Christians be arrogant? Because it's not who you are. 
Verse 14, or sorry, uh, rather, verse um, 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, us, exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. Verses 8 to 13 are amazing because I don't know if you can tell. It's hard when you read. But Paul's using sarcasm and irony to make his point. I mean, in verse 8, he's, he's speaking to these Corinthian Christians. Already you have all you want. Already you're rich. You're kings. And he says, oh, that you would reign so that me and Apollos, we could share in your kingdom. Right? He's using sarcasm. But that was the Corinthian mindset. I have all I want. I am rich. I am a king. What this is, if you remember last week when, when, I, when I drew the, the, the arrows, right, and the, the present evil age and the age to come, this kind of mindset often is from what uh, theologians call an over-realized eschatology. So eschatology is the end times, right, the, the, the last days, the return of Jesus. And oftentimes, and I think this is what is happening in Corinth, Oftentimes, this kind of mindset as, I have everything I want, I'm a king, I can do no wrong, I'm amazing, is because you have an over-realized eschatology. All the things that are promised when Jesus returns, when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in, it's like people look at that and go, but I get that now. So this is where the prosperity gospel comes from. If you're a Christian, you should be rich and never get sick. Well, you read about the new heavens and the new earth, and we will never get sick when Jesus returns, but an over-realized eschatology goes, well, I want that now. So I, I just declare that I'm never going to be sick again, and that's part of following the gospel. I'm a king, right? And then you read books, live your best life now, and all of these prosperity teachings, it's an over-realized view of the end times. And Paul, I love that Paul, with just such great sarcasm, if you're a sarcastic person, you would get along with Paul, because he, he says, oh, I wish that you would reign so that I could rule with you, I roll. Like, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you guys think all of these things. You think that you've arrived. You, you're living as if you're not actually in the present evil age. You're just saying, nope, I don't want that. I'm in the future with Jesus now. And so Paul then, what he does in verses 9 to 13 is he compares. He says, let's compare what you're claiming about yourself to our reality as apostles. Right? He says, apostles, we're men sentenced to death. He says, we're a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. And that's the idea in the Roman world um, at gladiatorial events or when... Um, uh, a Roman emperor would conquer uh, another kingdom, 
the word spectacle, it's this idea that they would come in this big procession and they would show off all of their spoils of war and show off all of their prisoners and they would go, look how amazing our emperor is. Look at all these subjects and, and art and, and gold and silver and animals that we won. And then they would make their way through the streets to the arena and then they would slaughter all the slaves and servants that they had captured. Paul says, that's kind of like us apostles. We're just on, on display for the world. We're spectacles to, to everyone. He says, we're fools, but you Corinthians, you're wise. He says, we're weak, but you Corinthians, you're strong. You're, you're held in honor, but Apollos and Peter and me, we're, we're in disrepute. He says, as apostles, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, which means they're beaten, they're homeless. He says, we labor, we're working with our own hands, we're reviled, yet we bless, we're persecuted, yet we endure, you're slandered, yet we entreat. And then he says, we're actually the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. These words in the Greek language, they mean when you, let's say, um, you're cleaning up a really dirty shop and you sweep a big pile and then you sweep all the disgusting things in the, in the dustpan. That's that word. Or another uh, word for it is when you um, shower and all of the dirt and scum that's been clinging to you, let's say you didn't shower for a week, okay? Uh, and it all comes off into the drain. That's what Paul says they're like. We're We're scum. We are the refuse of all things. But you Corinthians, you think that you've arrived? So what is Paul doing here? They are arrogantly boasting in how wise and rich and powerful they are. It's arrogance to say, I'm a king. I've arrived. I have everything I need. And Paul says, well, if that's true, why is my reality as an apostle and a follower of Jesus, why isn't it matching up with how you view yourself? My life is the opposite of that. So you need to hear the Christian life is not a fast track to glory. The Christian life is a slow, arduous path that inevitably takes you through suffering. Romans 8, Paul says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We don't like that part of the verse. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm a son, a daughter of God. Yes, provided that you suffer. So why shouldn't Christians be arrogant? Because what, what these Corinthians were saying, it's actually not who they are. The life that Paul described, that he and the apostles were experiencing, that's actually meant to be the normal Christian life until Jesus returns. It is long obedience in the same direction through many trials. And so you, you, can't, you can't be arrogant and boast in how rich and how blessed you are because the path of discipleship is suffering. Paul says it's not who you are. You're deceived in your view of yourself and then you boast and you're arrogant in this false view of yourself. That's not who you are. Now, it sounds like when, when Paul uses sarcasm, it sounds so like, 
harsh, but he, he says at the end of the chapter, why is he speaking to them like this? Oh, because he loves them so much. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with love and a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, Paul, Paul in saying all of these things, right, and using sarcasm and humor to go like, you guys have such a wrong view of yourself. He says, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to admonish you because you're my beloved children. So we need to hear that, right? Because in our day and age, like if, if, if we talked to each other like this, we would go, how dare you talk to me like that? But it's actually loving for a friend to come alongside you and risk wounding you because they love you. So Paul says, I'm not trying to shame you, Corinthians. It's not you. I love you. It's your values and your behavior that I'm trying to admonish. Because, verse 15, you have countless guides. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. You have countless guides, but he says, you don't have many fathers. The word countless is actually, it's again an exaggerated term. It's myrios, which means myriad. Our equivalent, if Paul was writing today, would say, you have zillions. You have so many guides, but you don't have many fathers. Is that not our day and age? You can go online and listen to zillions of guides. But he says, but you don't have many fathers who actually love you and want to walk alongside you. He's coming at them like a father. He says, I care about your soul. And your pride and your arrogance is eating you alive. And then he says, right, is Paul's life, are we supposed to live through suffering like that? Yes, verse 16, he says, imitate me. Like, I urge you that you would be imitators of me. Not because Paul is special or perfect, but because Paul's life was defined by the cross. Imitate him. That's why he sent Timothy. He says, that's why I sent you, Timothy, to remind you of the ways of Christ. And then he, he says, I'm going to try and come to you soon. There's people in Corinth who are saying, Paul doesn't even love you. He's not going to come and visit you again. Paul says, that's not true. I'm trying to come to you, Lord willing. But when I come, should I bring a rod of discipline? Or should I come with love in, in gentleness? I think what we can glean from verses 14 and 21 is that it's really hard to address arrogant people. Because a proud person cannot easily take rebuke from someone. Because if you're an arrogant, prideful person, you look down on everyone. That's why if you're someone who struggles with pride or arrogance, and you can be, you you should admit it, if you're someone that, yes, I struggle with being arrogant and prideful, that's why it's often hard to be addressed on it because it just feels like an attack. But Paul says, I'm not, I'm not pointing this out to heap shame on you. I'm coming to you in love and in gentleness because I care about your soul. So Paul, in chapter 4, he's defending his apostleship to the church. 
where some thought, well, Paul's just not on par with these other leaders and preachers and apostles. He's not as good as them. And so Paul comes in and he's trying to address this arrogant, prideful attitudes that, that, that these Christians in Corinth had. And so for us today, like, why, why shouldn't we be arrogant, right, as followers of Jesus? To just summarize, number one is because only God can actually judge someone's heart. So it's hard to be arrogant when you realize that you are not the be-all and end-all judge of everyone. Secondly, it's hard to be arrogant when you realize that everything you have is a gift. The breath in your lungs, the blood being pumped through your body, your job, your paycheck, the food in your fridge, everything that you have is a gift from God. Why would you boast in those things? And then lastly, why shouldn't we be arrogant as Christians? It's, it's just because it's not who we are. We don't walk around going, I've arrived, I have everything I need, I'm a king, I'm rich. It's not who we are. We are called to actually lay down our lives and be willing to suffer until Jesus returns. That's who we are. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. As I follow Jesus, use my life, Paul says, as, as an example, a life of suffering. Um, so my prayer for us is that we would be humble, um, grace-saturated people. So when we go to, okay, I, I need to confront someone and I need to address pride and arrogance in others, that the, the motive wouldn't be to shame them, but it would be to gently and lovingly restore them to Jesus. And my prayer is, is that if we are people who struggle with arrogance and pride and we're confronted on our arrogance and pride, that we wouldn't defend ourselves, but that we would see it actually as grace and mercy from Jesus and care from our brothers and sisters because they, they love us and they care about our souls. So, oh, would we walk in that kind of humility together. Uh, let me pray for us. So, Jesus, I just thank you for your word. Um, it is always so encouraging to just study your word together. Um, I, I thank you for this letter that we have to this Corinthian church that was, was struggling in so many of the ways that we struggle today. Um, God, I, I know that in my own life, I can struggle with arrogance and pride. And oftentimes it's based on just me thinking that I'm better than other people, boasting in the gifts that you've given me, boasting in all the things that I've done, and then kind of having this wrong view of myself. So would you just forgive me for that? Forgive us, God, when we are just arrogant Christians. I pray that, like Paul says, that we would not be quick to judge people before the time of your return because honestly, yes, we can make judgments based on fruit and things we see, but ultimately at the end of the day, we are not all-knowing and all-seeing and no one knows someone's heart except you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would be people that just celebrate that you are the one that gives us all good things, that anything that we have is not because of us. It's a gracious gift from you. And that we would have an accurate view of who we are, that no, we're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. We don't need an over-realized eschatology. We can actually live like Paul and the apostles and the others live, just long obedience following you through potential suffering and hardship and longing for your return, Jesus. 
So I just pray that you would do that work in each of us. God, I pray this morning, if there's those in this room who struggle with pride and arrogance, I pray that you would just convict them, that they would repent of it and turn to you. I, I pray for those of us in this room who like to confront people on pride and arrogance, but it's because we want to heap shame on them. Would you just help us to repent of that? That we would be known as just humble, grace-filled people who lovingly walk alongside each other because we care about one another and we care about each other's souls. So just do this work in us, Jesus, we pray, and we pray in your name. Amen.